everyone. Welcome back to Mission Daily. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, and I am so excited today to be joined on mic by Sharon Price-John. Sharon is the CEO of Build-A-Bear and the author of a newly released book called Stories and Heart, Unlock the Power of Personal Stories to Create a Life You Love. Sharon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stephanie. Great to be here. So I know we're going to have such a fun conversation because I will say I get recommended so many books. So many of our guests, come on, all have books. And yours spoke to me. As you can see, look how many, I don't know if you can see how many like little folded pages I have in this. Love it. That's awesome. That's when you know I love something. And so right now I'm like having everyone I know read this book. And I want to hear, I was wondering, the one thing I don't know after reading about your whole life is what brought you to writing this book? Like what compelled you to do this? You know, you started with the hardest question, Stephanie. Of course you did. (laughs) The one thing that's not in the book. I'm like, I didn't get answers for that. I don't know why she wrote this book. (laughs) Well, I, you know, I think that uh, I had a lot of uh, trepidation about writing the book. It was very difficult for me to get over the hump to share a lot of these stories. And I would say at the same time, I've been collecting some of this data and making notes over the course of years. And because I'm, I am a writer, I am a creative. And I think that's sort of what you do. Uh, And there was some vision that maybe someday I would try to collect all of this, mostly so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, I wanted to share some of these fun stories with my, my, my friends and my family as my kids were growing up and my daughters are graduate going into college and graduating college and my son, you know, in their early careers of being able to share some of this journey. But when Forbes asked me to write it, uh, they were really looking toward more of a really business book. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, so maybe this, oddly, maybe this is the moment that I'm, that the, that I'm being spurred to put this on a piece of paper where when you read the book, you'll know why that's meaningful of just kind of listening to the path. And I, I took that as, as a marker that perhaps this is time. But I went back to them and I'm like, I, I, I'm just, if you let me do a proposal for you that might be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit different, a little bit further back than here's all my business lessons, because I, I'm not certain I have a whole lot more to share uh, on how to run a company as anyone else would do. But but there may be something that I could share about thinking about all the stories that have happened in your life, the actual impact that it's made on you. And when I can pull that whole string together that, like so many have said throughout history, it isn't really what happens, it's what you do with it. And if I could pull that together with data and proof points and exercises and impact at least one more life, it might be worth my time. So that's what I did. Yep. I love that. So, I mean, the book starts out highlighting your childhood. And the one thing I was impressed with was how you were able to connect with your childhood self and remember these stories. I mean, because me, I was trying to remember, okay, what was I doing when I was five and seven and 12? And I have a really hard time. Mm -hmm. And you did such a great job bringing me into where you were, climbing the trees, you know, the advice from your dad, things that stuck with you. How did you put yourself back in those moments to remember stories like that, that, I mean, I think could transform anyone. They're thinking whether they're young, whether they're just getting out of school, whether they're me building a company. I mean, these stories were really profound, but how did you get back into that headspace to remember all of them? 
So also a good question. And as you you're reading the book, and I've heard this from some of the other people that that have shared with me um, that the book's very visceral. It's it has a lot of visual imagery, rich visual mm-hmm. imagery. And I'm a really visual person and also a super visceral person, very touchy feely. And I don't mean just emotionally, like, you know, when I'm walking through a store, I'm touching all the fabrics and, and kind of absorbing it through all the senses. Uh, and my childhood was very rich like that. And when I'm telling the, that opening story about the beech tree, that happened to be a story, which I shared at the very end of that chapter that I relived a lot. Like I would go, when I was going off to sleep, I would sort of walk back through the, the backyard and the woods to this big tree that became this uh, tree that, that spurred the concept of the gold tree. Um, but um, I remember the textures of all of that, the sounds of it. I mean, I, it, you know, even just perhaps, you know, there are moments where I talk about, I even know what, you know, randomly, like what bathing suit I had on when I was afraid to jump off a high board Um I'm not quite sure why those childhood memories are so strong for me and so visual for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it probably had something to do with truly having a a pretty blessed environment where I wanted, I didn't want to forget these moments, mm-hmm. maybe even an old soul appreciation of this is special. Don't let it go. And I'm glad that I'm able to describe these things in a way that people can see it in their mind's eye, because I'm hoping that it does bring people back to those sights, scents, and smells of when they're, when the childhood portion, when we're talking about a drippy popsicle stick, and we all know what that means, um, or jumping off a high board into a cool pool when you're afraid for the first time, because we've all done this stuff. And that's what, that's what connects us. And I'm hoping that in portions of the book, that's what I want to be very, very, approachable because I am, I just, I, the very simple, very approachable, attainable, sort of like understandable childhood. And I don't want people to believe that I came from anything that much different from what so many people came from. It Mm -hmm. really just had to, you know, some of the things that I've been able to do in life weren't because of, you know, I was sprinkled with fairy dust in the early days. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I, I, I remember a few parts in the book where I was like, oh, Sharon was just like me. I mean, at one point you chose to go back home and you were, I think, working in a factory folding jeans maybe, and you were just trying to figure things out. And it's not like you came from this background that really sets you up well. Um, but one thing I love that you mentioned uh, a few times in the book was taking the scenic route. And I wanted you to expand on you know, how you thought about that, because I mean, throughout school and then going back home, Mattel, Hasbro, Stride Right, now Build-A-Bear, but you talked about all throughout these pivots, you would oftentimes take the scenic route, which I think now more than ever, I think people need to hear that that's okay. And so I would love to hear you expand on that. What does it mean to take the scenic route? And yeah, just some examples for people who didn't read the book. One of the things that I wanted to discuss in the book was a dismantling of the mythology about success and that success is somehow linked to a very direct 
step-by-step program of if I do this and everything must be going in the right direction. And if I deviate from this path that has been proven before, um, I'm somehow failing in my endeavor to be successful. And I liken it to what's known as the corporate ladder and work to uh, throw that analogy aside and, and, and put the, in place of it this idea of this big unwieldy tree of life that you're trying to maneuver and climb. First, you have to pick your tree. Then you have to figure out how to get up the tree and what tree and how high you want to climb. And while you're doing this, this path might work and that path path might not work or this limb might break off and you have to rethink. Mm-hmm. And But the beauty of all of that is through that process, if you can find the peace in it, and understand that when that limb breaks off, it's not the end of the world or the end of your path or the end of your journey or your certain demise. It's an opportunity. It's a gift for you to pause and say, oh, well, maybe I should pause and look around where I am right now and embrace that secondary path that maybe should have been your first path, but you were too close minded to see it. Sometimes we need to have a little bit of a shake to be able to do that. So there is a part of the journey that um, when you can ultimately not only just tolerate the side trip, but you seek out and enjoy and embrace and recognize the value in the side trip is when the real trip begins. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah, it's it definitely had me thinking about so many moments in my life when they could have been make or break moments and I could have been like, oh, what was me? Whereas now I look back at all these big shake up moments and it was the universe coming in and telling me like, wake up, Steph, like get out of that. This divorce is okay. This happening to your company is good. Like you need to think about things differently. You need to take a different approach or think bigger or zoom out of whatever you're in right now. And those have always actually been the most pivotal moments in my life, the hardest ones, where most people would never wish themselves to be in many of the spots that I've been. But I look back and I'm so grateful because it was the, yeah, the moment that gave me the side trips to come back to something bigger and better. And so I loved hearing and reading about all the different side trips that you took and places that you said yes to when maybe many others would have said no and just stayed stayed on course with what the plan was. Kind of a boring thing, don't you yeah. think? To oh, just yeah. to have set out this perfect path with all of these boxes that you're intending to check right in line on right on time. Mm-hmm. You know, what if that really had happened? Yeah. Look what no. you would have missed. Yeah. And that also means that you already knew what was going to happen. So maybe you weren't betting big enough then. 100%. I mean, I... One of the best ways to know that you are underestimating yourself is if you achieve every goal on time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I. <laughs> I love that. That's good. Yeah. I mean, I heard a couple of people saying that exact thing uh, that I surround myself with here in Austin, where they're just like, man, if you're hitting your goals, like what kind of goals are you setting mm-hmm. for yourself? Because you should be missing them. And then you come back and you write new goals that are maybe even bigger than what you had originally imagined. But it's because you know you were able to get to the 80% mark. And so now you have that newfound confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to call in an even bigger goal now. That's right. I will tell you that I, I think that there's there's so many lessons in your own learning about your own resiliency, mm-hmm. because then you're so you learn you learn to just not even be afraid of what we you know have decided to call failure, mm-hmm. which is really just a, 
an incident in the moment that was unexpected that you currently are labeling as bad. That's all it is. Um, You don't even know how you'll label it in the future. And if we could just stop calling those things failure in the moment and putting them aside and calling and then judging ourselves about that, um, Mm -hmm. it can be some of the most pivotal parts of your life. Yep. Yep. Yeah. This is uh, bringing up a few points that I'm drawing back to now. One was about your son when it was, I think the chapter was around like fail or fly and you came home and I think you had a babysitter and there was a broken chandelier and you were like, well, what were you doing? And he was trying to fly and you were like, did it work? And he's like, yeah, it did for a second. (laughs) And you're like, how often are we labeling things failure when we could be looking at like, well, yeah, it worked for a second and now I'm going to try something different. And it's all around that perspective of like, what was that event? Was it really a failure or did it set you up on a whole brand new path that you never would have explored until you made that first jump? I absolutely love that story. And I can see his little face right now uh, sitting on the bottom bunk. And I, and I, he did, he didn't break the whole chandelier, but he did okay. break a couple of crystals. <laughs> so he popped off the chandelier and, and hit the, uh, the dining room table. Uh, and when he said it worked, you know, and then added that for a second, Um, I'm like, oh, my goodness, this kid has figured out the secret to life, right? He understands that Mm -hmm. it's it's how you label it. It's the way you think about it. He certain he believed that he was flying. And you know what? Technically, he was airborne for a second. And and I think at the end of that particular portion of the book, I'm like, I encourage all of us to be willing to just fling ourselves (laughs) off a top bunk every now and then uh, break some crystals in life. Mm-hmm. And understand that that fail or fly, it's nothing till you call it. So that's up to you and how you then define that and roll that into the next thing that you do saying, I'm a success or I'm a failure or this worked or that didn't work has a massive impact on every step you take in life, which is the impetus for the subtitle, right? And like the power of personal stories to create a life you love. That is the magic. Things are going to happen and they're just incidences until you decide to name them and then create whatever the meaning is for you or not. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for people to get their heads wrapped around it. But um, choosing to do it is so empowering uh, because you can choose the empowering story or the disempowering story. And here's the thing, when people look at me and kind of give me that sideways look and go, oh my God, this is woo-woo or that's crazy or that's not really true or whatever the answer is in their mind, a lot of times I come back with the with kind of a retort of that's not true. I'm like, well, you know, the truth is it doesn't matter if it's true. Mm-hmm. What you're choosing to do is something that's powerful for you. And isn't that better than not powerful? And there's a lot of data out there. This isn't in the book, but um, but, you know, people can look it up. There's something some data out there about 60 percent of the memories that we have are made up anyway or yeah. some portion of them. Yep. So if it's all made up, you might as well make up something that's good. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I uh, am looking at a quote that I've shared this quote with, I mean, man, all my friends, all my family, and it's exactly about this. And I'll do the abbreviated part of it, but it says, the beautiful thing is, since the stories we weave around our life experiences are choices, not only can we consciously select empowering meanings for current events, we can also choose to rewrite stories to weave around events that have already happened. So I've shared that quote a ton because I think right now, the environment that we're in, I think a lot of the media and stories that are coming to us is putting people in a victim state. 
And it's, you know, I see it happening all around of like, hey, you are a victim to your life and your experiences and everything that's happened to you. And this was a really good reminder that, yes, bad things can happen. Bad things can happen in childhood. Traumas can happen. And it's like our responsibility to choose now. It's our responsibility to heal. It's our responsibility to like put meanings around things and make sure that we can have the life that we want and not be victim to what came before us. And so I love this quote and I've been sharing it with everyone and it's, yeah, everyone's been loving it. Thank you. Well, you know, and in that, in that particular quote, and even in the book, I reiterate, I'm not trying to suggest that facts aren't facts. Mm -hmm. What happened happened, but the importance of almost anything that happens is what, again, what is the story you're weaving around it and the meaning that you're weaving around it for you? Because there are so many examples. In fact, it's almost endless of things that the exact same thing can happen to different people. And the outcome of that thing for each individual can be very different because they go, well, X happened, but I thought about it like this. And so that empowered me to do Y. And in some cases, X happened, the exact same thing. But I thought about it like this. And that's Mm -hmm. why it disempowered me. And I couldn't move forward to even try anything. So I ended up at Z. And it's so there's enormous amounts of data that it's not the thing. It's what do you do with the thing? Yep. Yeah. I mean, I am an identical twin and I can see firsthand how, you know, me and my sister were in the same environment with our parents and we were there for that one moment. And the story that she might have wrapped around that one instance and the story that I have can be so different. And it's the same exact event, but it just depends like, how did you view that scenario? And maybe what was your relationship like with parents or whatever it might be, like what I have versus what she has. But it's such an interesting thing seeing like, oh, that's the story that you put around that one thing that happened. I didn't get that at all, actually. And the collective, the collective nature of event after event and story after story where you're either you're either reinforcing maybe an empowering narrative or a disempowering narrative truly can impact your life. Mm-hmm. And it's the simplest of things. Maybe it's something where you wanted to try something and you failed. And one person looks at that and says, well, you know, that's a great opportunity for, for me to learn this, you know, to try again and learn this. Another person may never try that again. And I mean, I use that example where I had a company, I tried an entrepreneurial endeavor for mm-hmm. a company and we had all the products on the water during 9-11 coming over from China in a container. And of course, I never want to overstate, you know, even what happened to us is something that would be even close to so much of the devastation that happened that day and the negative impact on many, many people. But nevertheless, we had a, we had an issue on our hands. And, you know, I could have easily looked at that moment. It was a toy company that we started, or my, myself and my husband, um, as I have no business being in, in business at all. You know, I'm a complete and total failure. This is a complete and total upheaval. Like, mm-hmm. there goes my, you know, little, lot, whole lot of sweat equity, a lot of my savings, the order was canceled by a major toy company and the it was over. And there would be a really natural set of next steps that could have easily included a change of industry or not going back to work, mm-hmm. certainly not going back into a toy company. Yep. But that's exactly what I did. 
I went out and decided to get, you know, got a job at Hasbro. Mm -hmm. And the odd part about it all was because I went through this entrepreneurial endeavor where you really do have to learn things from the inside out. Because I'd been working at a, another large toy company prior to that, uh, Mattel, uh, where, you know, in these multi-billion dollar companies, you're, you very rarely learn, all, you know, the whole value chain. Yeah. You're kind of stuck in one little section of the value chain. Um, and so, but I had to figure that out to be an entrepreneur, design, development, legal, packaging, you know, everything, safety, uh, importing, everything. So that knowledge base, bringing that into Hasbro, even in my, you know, new position of just being so broad based was an incredible asset and allowed me to elevate very, very quickly in a way that I'm certain that I would not have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think definitely becoming an entrepreneur is a fast track to understanding so many pieces that maybe you wouldn't have otherwise, because like you said, when I was working at Google, I was a piece, I managed, you know, billion dollar P&L, but once it got outside of those certain areas, I'd be like, oh, I don't really know how maybe you get Google cars over to, you know, wherever it may be or what that actually looks like. Um, and so starting your own thing and trying, whether it succeeds or not, like that actually doesn't matter because you just had your own kind of like a business case study already built for you based off of your actions. Yeah. And then and what a shame for the people that do decide in entrepreneurial environments that they call that a failure and decide that that mm -hmm. is a bellwether of their fate. And then it becomes that way because they've decided it is that, yep. you know, on the negative side, I guess, or on the positive side. So, you know, I looked at it as this is my big, big chance, you know, instead of I should clearly not ever try to be in the toy industry. I mean, I wouldn't be the CEO of Build-A-Bear right now if I decided to interpret it that way. Yeah. That's just a straight up fact. Yeah. How, how did you learn to interpret events like this the way that you do? I mean, were there, was there ever a point in your life where you kind of saw that your mind was getting away from you and you're like, okay, this isn't very helpful the way that it's thinking right now? Like, how do you, how do you come to thinking like this? Well, that first chapter highlights that I think I had a little bit of a tendency to think differently mm -hmm. um, because, you know, just even just getting stuck in the tree, which is what that story is about after weeks and weeks of trial and to try to figure out how to climb this impossible tree. Mm -hmm. um, and then once I got stuck up there, the memory of it is crisp. And maybe my parents taught me this. And I can actually hear my mom saying this, you know, in, in other situations. Well, you if you got yourself into a mess, you can get yourself out. Like just that mm -hmm. underlying construct. That, so just realizing that any situation that you're in, you naturally put yourself in that situation. So you must also have the key to unlock, to release yourself from that situation. Mm -hmm. Something I, I've always remembered them telling me. So I'm sitting up there on that big limb and I can't get down the same way. And that probably ran through my head. Well, if I got up here, if I got myself here, I have to, naturally, I would, if I just think long enough, if I sit here long enough, I contemplate, I can figure out a way to get down. And I came up with a whole different way, which you know, which is to slide all the way out to the end of the limb and like bounce and swing. I had to bounce hard on this very end to get low enough because this was so high that if I dropped, I wouldn't you know, break a bone. Mm -hmm. um, and it was also in an incline. And so all of that worked out. Now, I look back on that and 
I interpreted all of that, including getting stuck, which was very scary and a little bit panicky for a short moment of time as it was start as the dark was starting to fall in the woods, right? That's pretty scary for a kid, pretty scary for a grown up. After I figured out a way to get down, like, wow, that was so much fun. Like the fun of bouncing and figuring that out and getting down and then being really proud of myself for me working this out, not sitting up there and screaming and yelling and crying and waiting for somebody to save me, for me working this out. That was really empowering. So empowering that I would just go back and climb the tree just so I could bounce and jump out again because that was, you know, a trip. And that whole concept is sort of like the concept that we're talking about with my son and the crystals, mm-hmm. right? That was That's a breakthrough on the way you could think about life. Look, it's not always gonna work out like you plan. You should set these really tough goals and sometimes it's not gonna be great. But if you got yourself into this, you can get yourself out. Mm-hmm. And you never know, it might turn out to be better than you even planned. And I'll tell you, after you know a few years of doing this now, a few decades, most of the time it, can't, it does turn out better if you, than you plan if you yeah. keep your mind open to that scenic route, right back to that, right? Mm-hmm. Because I find that so many of the times where I have these super tight, you know, you know, agendas and this is what we're going to do, and this is what, it's not half as good as if I just give it a little bit of latitude, take a little bit of blinders off, mm-hmm. just let the world bring it to me a little bit and be willing to embrace it because the universe has so much, it's just bigger thinking than me. Yeah. I still, I look back on some of the things and even stuff that, you know, might maybe be considered, you know, an accomplishment or this or that or that. The biggest things that I've been gifted with or blessed with are things that were outside of what my biggest dreams were. Mm -hmm. It's almost somebody come up, you know, almost like some, you know, I don't know, saying, gee, Sharon, again, you've underestimated yourself. (laughs) Yep. You know? And somebody is pushing me from the back mm-hmm. into, you know, something totally new where I'm like, I don't know if I could do this, you know, and and then you just figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was fun reading about the moments like that where it's like opportunities were given to you, provided to you and, you know, reading about the moments of doubt. And I really like the one where I think you were working at Mattel and you were in charge of the licensing agreement between Mattel and Disney Europe. And you had to go over to Europe and basically work with this team. And you didn't have like any team there. They didn't know who you were. You didn't really even know what your title was. And there's all these uncertainties around like, how can I demand respect? And which so many people I think like go into new roles, go into whatever it may be and be like, oh man, I don't have what it takes. Like these people don't even know me. I need a little support behind me. There's so many things I don't have. And you call your husband and you're like, they don't know me. And he's like, exactly. They don't know you. So you get in there and you be who you want to be, like show up who you want to be. And I'm like, so many of these stories, it's like you hear time and time again, like fake it till you make it, bring the confidence first. And it's such like a good reminder because so many people are, have been in that spot. But I love that story. And I'd love for you to expand more on that because I thought it was super uh, empowering. Yeah. So it, they they did create this role uh, to kind of bring the two companies, uh, international affiliates together for, them, for us to drive the European business. That, that was the Disney and, and, and Mattel business. Um, and uh, as the role was created, there, there really wasn't anything, you know, no title, like nobody reporting to me. I really didn't have a budget. I didn't have anything. And I'm like, but this sounds great. I'm a, you know, Parisian expat. Sign me up. <laughs> you know? So, but then I get in there and I'm like, 
whoa, uh, yeah, I, I that nobody knows who I am or why I'm here, to your point. Um, but my husband is very wise, <laughs> and he's like, it's kind of like this construct of act as if, right? Mm-hmm. You've heard, probably heard that a lot, and that's also highlighted in Norman Vincent Peale's book, The Power of Positive Thinking, and getting your head wrapped around what does that mean to act as if. Well, first you have to decide as if what, right? So in this particular case, I'm going, I, I don't have any formal power. So I, I need to informally exude power. Um, and therefore, you know, I would be treated with respect in those search situation. And what was funny about it is, you know, to your point, I thought he asked me on that phone call, he's like, so what would you do if you had all this formal power? And I just started listing off things like it was, you know, like an everyday event, like, oh, well, number one, I would do this. Number two, I'd do this. And then I would do this. And he just stops and he's like, well, just do that. Just do that. You know exactly what to do. Just do it. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing that I did was um, call the German affiliate. And I'm like, you know, um, I'm Sharon John. I'm the head of this and I'm here to do this. And I'm sending you a spreadsheet to fill out. And I would expect to to see you and the, the Disney, um, Disney German fill out, be there, you know, I'm going to be in Frankfurt on such and such day. And we're going to present these and we're going to have a discussion about building the business. And they were like, okay, <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Did that really just happen? And then, you know, I was kind of off to the races because I leaned in and I was, I wasn't outside of the realm of what, uh, of what the assignment was. In fact, I was doing exactly what the assignment was. Mm-hmm. So I actually shockingly did have the power. I just didn't have it formally bestowed. Nobody was sitting there going in, you know, here's this memo uh, with this person and this new title, but that's the way it is all the time, right? In every career stop that you're making, whatever title you have, whatever role you're playing, how do you show up? Mm-hmm. You know, there's this old saying about dressing the next level or yeah. uh, finding someone to model. And these are really important constructs in business because so many times when you're promoted to the next level, the promotion is simply an acknowledgement of something you've already become or something you're already seen to be. They don't, people don't put you in a promote, promote you because they, a lot of times they don't because they think, oh, well, you know, then she'll grow into this. So that's, a, that's usually a discussion, you know, yeah. and they're seeing some uh, aspect of your persona or skill set where they want to polish you off, but they'll talk to you about it. Most promotions are because you've already achieved something that is perceived to be that level. And this is just the acknowledgement of it. So go ahead and keep acting as if with that same sort of exuding that same, whatever it is, you know, skill set, knowledge, executive presence, whatever it is that you see that is like that of people of that level. Um, And you might say, be surprised what happens. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's funny how many things like this I've heard, you know, throughout the course of my life, but it takes like certain moments to make them stick, which is interesting. It's like, I remember, you know, going through school and people were like, oh, well, dress however you want, like whatever role you want, dress in that or whatever level you want. And, um, but the confidence piece, I feel like that one is not talked about as much mm. as, you know, role modeling your outfits and other things. It's like the confidence piece is probably the biggest one that 
I think it's hard for many to understand like how much of an influence that can have over your entire life and your role within companies or your own company, whatever it may be. So I wonder why that's missed or why that's like not talked about as much. Yeah, I think there might be some uh, twisted up, uh, you know, mythology around confidence uh, in that it somehow, if you're confident, you'll be perceived as arrogant. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think that there is a way to package up confidence separate from all of the negativity that sometimes could come along with it. But the truth is, there's a lot of data about this. I actually speak about the World Economic Forum mentioning that the combination of confidence and competence is the big unlock for the future for more mm-hmm. people that have both because just the competence piece will not get us there as, a, as we're changing the world or evolving or whatever it, all these challenges that we have in front of us. You have to have the confidence to go along with your competence mm-hmm. or what you know will never be executed. People have to believe in what you're saying. They have to believe in you. And it's a, not everyone has to be a leader, but you do have to be confident in what you're sharing or what you believe in. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a big unlock and that, and I really do wish that we had more tools to teach people how to be more confident. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I especially think, um, women, like teaching women that it's okay to be confident. And I mean, there was a great story of yours where, you know, you got hired into a role and you were quiet and uh, you were in all these big meetings and it was maybe like a few weeks had passed and your manager's like, Sharon, you haven't said anything like since we hired you. And you're like, oh yeah, I'm just ab- absorbing knowledge as oftentimes I think we as women think we're just here to be a sponge until we have something amazing to say. We better not talk. And she's like, we didn't hire you to listen start talking, give us your ideas. That's the whole reason you're here. And I think more women need to hear that. More women need to hear like your ideas are valuable. You are valuable and speak, you know, don't be quiet. Don't just sit there and listen. Like there's a reason that you're in this room. And um, that confidence piece, I think is, yeah, just something more women could lean into because it's not arrogance. It's not anything but just showing up and showing your full self. Yeah, I that was such a gift. I'm still very good friends with that particular mentor. Um, and it was such a gift for her to tell me that. And I wanted to share that because I wanted her gift to be shared with other women. And I do mm-hmm. think that this sometimes is, I don't want to generalize, but does seem to show up more more in women than men sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and some, And I've tried to think about maybe what is the driver of that, about why we don't speak up in those meetings and why we don't put our put our opinions on the table. And sometimes I think that it's associated with maybe fear of it not being heard, or maybe just, you know, you're not willing to, you're, you're, you're not willing to put it out there because you're not sure how someone will react to it. Mm-hmm. And those are the kinds of things that you, we just really have to get over. And look, I think that it's changing, but I've even been in some of those rooms where Sometimes, you know, the it's it's a female voice that says a certain opinion or a data point and it's overlooked. And then a male voice says that same thing and then it's heard. And that really is frustrating. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't share your opinion. Mm -hmm. And and it's also this is where again, I give my husband a lot of credit here. He's always coached me in those types of environments. You know, if you can find a way 
to bring humility or humor into that moment, that can change the tenor of the situation and the room really quickly. If you really did bring up the point first, or you really do have a separate point on that, to be able to say, you know, even just to have some way to kind of break the tension, because there's going to be some people in there that realize that you said it, right? And go just, you know, even if it's something funny, like, hey, feel like I heard that before. Anybody else hear that before? You know, and just kind of crack a joke about it. Um, But you've got to find a way to be willing to put your ideas out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I also found having, um, like finding good mentors or just managers and making sure, I mean, you really pick good managers wherever you go is really crucial. I remember when I was working at Google, I had a manager who she would put me in the room with the CEO of Google and be like, this is your project, go. And she would put me in very uncomfortable spots. Um, Even when it wasn't really all my work, she'd be like, this is your work, take credit, go. And I just remember now thinking back on that. And I always call her like a level five leader because she really wanted to put you in all the opportunistic places and she wanted you to be the one talking, even if it was actually her work, even if she, you know, finished that project and pushed it past the finish line, like she would put the younger people in front of the leadership team and have them talk. And that to me is like, if I were to look back now at my, you know, working in corporate and finance and all that, it's actually finding the right managers who want to champion you. And it's not all about them. Like the ones that don't have egos, the ones who are already like, I already, you know, I feel good about myself and now I'm bringing a team up with me and I'm going to put them in the spotlight. Like that kind of helped open my eyes up to, you know, how valuable I was and how my ideas were valued and kind of gave me the confidence into, you know, starting my own company and just kind of set me on a different path just by that one person who, you know, did that for me. That is so remarkable and so special. And I'm so happy that that was a part of your career path. And Mm -hmm. I mean, in your path, you know, in in many ways, at least categorically, a tougher path than the toy industry, you know, like at least a couple of women in the toy industry. But, but, you know, the early days of upstart IT, oh my goodness. I mean, you know, just, just so impressive. And, and I feel like that if, if more women would do that, um, and, and now where, you know, it, it, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when, when people were paving the path for women in, in industry and business, there was just the token spot at the top, right? Or the two or three. So it got so narrow that you, that I think people in the, in the past felt like they couldn't do that. Like mm-hmm. it was just as such, there's this one, the one box or the two yeah. boxes up at the top or close mm-hmm. to, not even at the top, just close to the top. Um, but now that's, that's changed, thank goodness. But what's interesting about that too is uh, that mentor for you then not only was giving you all sorts of confidence and skill sets and putting, shining a beautiful light on you, well-deserved, they were teaching you how to be a great leader. Yep. And that's yeah. how things change. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's why I always think about that story. And I'm like, man, how many people, you know, listening or watching this could be that one person who lifts up, you know, someone on their team that they're around, a friend, whatever it may be, and kind of puts a spotlight on them that they don't see themselves. Because I think it's often easier to see greatness in someone and not yourself. And so how many people could you at least shine that on? Because it's going to come back to you. And then you'll also probably, you know, you're going to rise up as well while doing that. But all it takes is one to just change the whole trajectory of someone's, you know, life, confidence, how they feel about themselves. Absolutely. And on that confidence front, I think some of the things, too, that people that you know undermines the confidence of people is it's not even anything that's happening from the outside in. It's mm-hmm. stuff that's happening from the inside out. 
Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, just a really negative habit of demoralizing self-talk mm-hmm. or, um, or the rumination on the smallest of things that went wrong yeah. or an overestimate of how much something meant that someone else said to you mm-hmm. um, when it likely doesn't mean much at all because they're probably in their own head as much as you're in your own head. Yeah. And so you're, you know, manifesting all sorts of things in your own mind about how your worthiness that are likely not even true. That's mm-hmm. keeping you from being more confident or ex- at least exuding a certain level uh, of, of improved confidence that you otherwise are not because you've got the this what if scenario rolling in mm-hmm. your head. Yeah. Uh, and that that takes a lot of work, but it is some of the most critical work that people need to do, in my opinion, um, is to get control over their own thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you can do that and separate this idea of that your brain's working all the time, but what are you doing? Because they're different things. Yep. And um, and nope, sometimes people don't want to admit that there's two voices running in their head all the time. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It means you're human. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and recognizing that there is there is one part of yourself, your real self, that can say, "Come on now, if what are the odds of that?" Really, <laughs> you know, it's sort mm-hmm. of like you know, just getting that that um, what in you know in in the world of Buddha they would call it the monkey brain, getting mm-hmm. that under control, squelching that negative talk, self talk, getting all of that kind of you know your that turning it into positive self-talk, leaving all of that baggage behind. I go into a big analogy about dropping the baggage and letting it go. But um, that's the first thing, because those are things that you can do just by quieting your own mind. Mm -hmm. It's not something else doesn't need to happen out there. All this magic doesn't need to fall in place. Nobody else needs to step in, in line or this. These sets of circumstances need to happen. This is all about you and you. And that's so you and you can deal with that right now, every day, all day. And that's, that can start the process in a very positive way. Yep. Yep. It's all about perspective. And yeah, I read a book that's actually, you probably have read this too, called The Untethered Mind. I read this book a while I ago. I have I know about it. And I, okay. I, it's on my list. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. I mean, it was probably years ago that I read this, but the whole point was to zoom out and be able to look back in at yourself from a third party view and not be your thoughts and just be able to observe them and let them come and let them go. And the more you do that and just kind of be an observer of your thoughts, like you are not your thoughts. You don't have to be in the emotions all the time. You don't have to let your body go through all these ups and downs. Like you can actually just observe them and be like, that was an interesting thought and goodbye. I don't need you. Like that was probably the most helpful thing for me to do to be able to recognize that you are not your thoughts. Like, no, you, can just you are not. Only if you choose to be. Yep. Yep. So I know we are running up on time and you already know you and I could talk for hours. <laughs> We'll have to have many, many rounds of these. But I want to ask the last question, like, what are you excited about next? What's next? Uh, what are you super stoked about? Oh, well, first of all, so many things, because um, I, I don't know. I, I, Stephanie, you know this. I just get excited about everything. Like, it's just like, oh, my God. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. But um, I, I'll, I'll stick with the the, the program today. And um, I'm, I'm super excited about listening to people's feedback and listening how you know, stories in heart is starting to get people to think differently and impacting people's lives. And I, I so enjoy listening to that. Just like when, you know, as, as in my role at Build-A-Bear, I love hearing people's stories about going to Build-A-Bear and 
you know, what they did and, and, and how that changed their lives in some ways. So it's really remarkable. But, you know, I think that, you know, there's there's something to be said about putting a lot of this thought process and these stories in something that's more what I wanted it to be more attainable, mm-hmm. uh, more understandable, easy to digest, having people really go through the process, maybe even in a book club or with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people would just learn a lot. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I really just wanted this to come deep out of the recesses of, of my soul to get this out. And you may know that this is, I don't make any money on this book. I just mm-hmm. want to say that this is just really something I thought, you know, these things have helped me in my life. And I do a lot of speaking engagements and I'll usually tell, ended up telling some story here, some story there. And it's some cobbled together form of that was even a outline for the book. And when I come down, people are like, wow, that, you know, that just, this just changed my life or that just, or, you know, even an hour, I've had a situation with an hour later, somebody came back and said, you know, I, I, I stepped out and I called back a company that, you know, was trying to hire me. And I asked them for the money that I wanted for this particular job because I was thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? And I got the job and I just wanted to tell you, thank you, because of your speech earlier today. Hmm. You never know what impact you might have until you're willing to put your heart out there. And, Hmm. And it was hard on a personal level, but I'm excited about what it could mean for folks. I love that. Well, you know, we here at Mission believe stories change the world and change generations. And so that's why I'm such a big fan of your book and you. So Sharon, thanks so much for coming on Mission Daily. I love spending time with you. Where can people find your book and learn more about you? Well, at storiesandheart.com. You can go there and there's a lot of links to different places. Of course, it's really easy to go to Amazon and look up Stories and Heart as well. Awesome. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.